0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tougher, or even if they don't. Today is February 6, 2014, this episode... 1296 of the Survival Podcast I've got a good one for you today I've got a guy that works as a flight attendant It's also a new prepper, relatively new Like a yearish into prepping So he has to deal with being a new prepper And what that's like And then dealing with being gone from home all the time Which is something many of you guys deal with You know, And you've asked me my opinions on it And, and the truth is, while well, I traveled a lot in my life um, I wasn't really heavily into prepping when I did And the tr- the other side of that is that because of the territories I've always had, I've spent a lot more time traveling in a vehicle than in an airplane, so I was always able to have quite a bit of gear with me when I traveled, because even though I wasn't a quote-unquote prepper back then, I was prepared even back then, and we're talking 20 years ago. Um, but it'll be a great interview, I think, because having a new person's perspective is is really a good idea. So I'll have him on in just a moment. Before I do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping to make sure make sure the show is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? You're going to get Berkey water filtration systems. Let me let me bounce off you here while you might want one. So my wonderful wife decided, hey, we had our water tested when we moved into this house a year ago, but things changed. So she bought a water kit. She tested all the stuff with her water. We learned that our water is extremely hard, even after it goes through the hard water softener, and we already knew that, and that that is what it is. But here's what else we learned. There is some sort of a bacterial problem in our water. So we're going to send it off for professional testing to see what's going on and what we can do about it. But how concerned are we really? Not much, because every drop of water we drink and cook with goes through our Berkey water filter system. Um, that's a real world example of no disasters, no nothing, but we had water that seemed fine and now we got water that seems to have something in it and none of everybody's been ill or anything like that because we simply filter all our water as a matter of course. Uh, next up today, JM Bullion. You know, I had a sponsor a long time ago for Silver and Gold and she was a good gal and she did a pretty good job. She charged more than the bigger companies, but I, you know, I like to deal with small people. And this person got involved in a network marketing type thing where you were selling silver to your uncle for like 40 to 50% more than its value. So if you sold enough of it, you'd get a free silver coin. And she was emailing all of her customers, which, of course, were all of you guys with that. So I immediately said, no more. I, that's not what I'm – I don't do sponsors to get into crap like that. So I needed to bring somebody in to fill that niche, and I found Bullion. I found a company that I could talk to the owner. I found a company that's small, family-owned. And I found a company, I found a company who even with that has better pricing than Monix and Appmex on about 95% of what they sell. Check them out today, jmbullion.com. And if you're placing an order over $300 with JM Bullion, which isn't hard to do when you're buying silver and or gold, uh, they do have different discounts available to you as a member of the support brigade. On that, MSB discount vendor of the day today is darbysimpson.com. Expert council member Darby Simpson does do consultations. He offers all MSB members a 10% discount on consultations. You can learn more in your member support brigade. On that, do consider joining the MSB, become a member, You get discounts to over 40 different vendors. Help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service, and first responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters. Uh, You guys do qualify for a discount. And if you email me before, not after you join, before, not after you join, put service discount in the subject line, tell me about your service, I will send you a discount code to thank you for it. Just email to send me. It, the, email, the email to reach me at is jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. And the subject line to put in that email is service discount. Uh, with that, we've got the uh, majority of the housekeeping wrapped up. Let's just real quick hit something that happened in the year 1296 in our year in history segment. Alex Shrugged has put this up for us on tspwiki.com. There's a link there today if you want to go see it. The God of the Peasants is Dead at 2 Edward. Count Flores V of Holland is loved by the peasants because he has reduced their taxes and given them concessions that most modern people would simply call the normal things any decent person should expect. Flores has negotiated good contracts with King Edward of England that have helped Holland prosper, but now the Count has switched sides to France and King Edward will have none of it. King Edward has the Count kidnapped by by the Count's own advisors, but the peasants find out and attempt to rescue him. In the panic, the god of the peasants is slashed to death by his kidnappers. Many legends have grown up after the death of the Count. Like George Washington and the Cherry Tree, the stories are told to honor the man and his virtue. But historically, the only thing that can be proven is that the people loved him and the noblemen did not. Alex's take on this says, Count Flores V was one of the one to give tax-free status to Amsterdam, which turned it into a center of finance and commerce. By all accounts, Camp, Count Flores was a good man. It was his fellow noblemen who were the problem. I liken this to the United States Congress. Every member of Congress is like a minor minor prince nowadays. And when one of the princelings decide to act on behalf of the people rather than behalf of the Congress, he is sidelined and then destroyed. Several examples spring to mind, along with Tea Party and the Libertarians. Anyone who gets out of the line gets the treatment, and it's not pretty. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I, I don't have a lot to add to today's history segment, though I do think that what we learn from it is that it's not the man in the system, it's the system itself. That's that's more... It's not that all the other guys suck. It's the system is designed to make it where people that are in the system suck. And in reality, in... A monarchy, you at least have the chance that the king is going to be an overall good guy. You might, It probably isn't, right? But if it does happen in a true monarchy, if the king turns out to be a genuine good guy, you're probably going to get a more fair shake than you're going to get in a democracy. Now, it's like rolling dice, right? It's like rolling, like, I don't think they make a... I'm not a gamer, but let's say a D100 die, right? It's got a 100... Uh, Ed, you a know, hundred ways it can come up, and it has to come up on 21, like Blackjack, to get a good king, like a really good, decent guy that's going to take care of everything to the best of his ability and not screw anybody over, not put people to death for dissenting, and, and actually run his kingdom, where if some noble guy gets out of line and starts slaughtering peasants, he just whacks them and says, we're not going to be doing that, and takes care of everybody. It's like one in a hundred and he, you get the guy for his entire life. So you might wait around a long time to get like two in your lifetime. Uh, or you might get a few quick if something goes wrong, right? But you're not going to get, a, you know, like a, a fair shake at ever seeing one of those. So there's, there is that to it. I guess you could look at it that way that what this showed is that when this count was running, uh, his area, he was able to at least do what was right for his people. Where the difference today is even a congressman, even a governor, in many ways, even a mayor today can't really do what's right for his people, even if he wants to. The system is stacked against the people. And, and you can call it democracy and a republic all you want, but what it really is is a plutocracy and a corporatocracy and neo-fascism. And if you don't understand any of those three words, since I want to get on with the show today, and uh, I'm doing some, some things a little bit different, where it's, the reason the show came out late today is I actually have my guest actually hanging on the line this time. I'm about to bring him on, and that's why the show's going out late because we had uh, this interview scheduled for today versus Wednesday when we normally do, and I don't want to stack this into next week. So with that being said, hey, uh, Daniel, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
1: Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to speak to you.
0: Man, I'm glad to have you on, and I'm glad that you approached me. You kind of came at this from a standpoint of, you know, It'd be a good idea to have new preppers on once in a while. People that are really new, not talking about advanced subjects or like, you know, even advanced individual subjects. We have people on there new all the time, but they're really good at raising quail or they're really good at gardening or they're really good at tactical stuff where you're saying let's just get somebody's new to talk about it from a generic level. So it's kind of our first one we've ever done like that. Before we get into that though, you know, we also have you on because you are a flight attendant and um that puts some unique things up with the dealing with travel. So instead of asking what I usually do, because it's going to come later, which is how did you be, get involved in prepping? I think a lot of people would wonder, you know, how do you end up choosing a career as a flight attendant? Just kind of as a connection with the audience. Why, you know, you're kind of just who you are.
1: Well, it wasn't like I was sitting in class in high school saying, I can't wait to graduate and be a flight attendant. It was more of a fluke when I was in college. And my first semester when I transferred from a local uh, branch. Down to, downstate to the main campus. I was like, all right, first semester, let me ease myself in, take some electives, you know, things I'm really interested in. So I took a, a survey of Greek literature and translation. I've always kind of dug Greek mythology and so forth. Anyways, I really started getting into it, figured out how much I loved it, and I was just like, man, I really want to go and do this to grad school, get a master's, eventually get my PhD and, you know, be a professor. So, Went down to visit one of the professors after I graduated. He looked at my transcripts. He was like, well, your grades are really good, but you don't have a lot of classics classes. He goes, I'd recommend you go on an archaeological dig. So I'm driving home, and I was like, well, I don't want to dig up Indian arrowheads, you know, somewhere. (laughs) So that didn't interest me. So I was like, well, how can I get out to the Mediterranean and volunteer on an archaeological dig and not have to pay for it? And I had a friend who was a stew flight attendant for American. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'll be a flight attendant. So, and, you know, this is before the Internet. And you can apply online and all that good stuff. So I just started buying the uh, local Sunday paper. And there was an adnet for a charter company that's since gone out of business and applied there, got hired. And then after, you know, like a year of doing this, and I mean, I was, you know, first couple months I was in London and Ireland and Paris so I was just like, man, why do I want to go $70,000 in debt? When I'm flying around the world, you know, be honest, you know, just to be open. I'm a straight guy. There was a lot of gay guys, and you're working with beautiful, beautiful women. making <laughs> pretty good money. So I was like, why rock the boat and you yeah. mess up a good thing? So uh, you, you sound like
0: me in high school when I took home economics. And one of the guys says, what are you doing that for? You're in there cooking, and there's nothing but girls in there. I went, well, I get to eat, and I'm surrounded by girls. Yeah. And there's none of you idiots to compete with. This is great.
1: That's that's right, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I'm the king of the fiefdom of home economics, you know?
0: <laughs> well, cool, man. Um, you know, kind of just, like, moving into the prepping side of things, how did you even, like, become aware of prepping as a thing? Like, you know, I'm sure you're, you're doing your stuff, you're traveling, you you got a job now. And you're new to probably you said maybe like a year into it. So right. were you aware of it and then just decided one day to do it or did you like you just like kind of become exposed to this whole concept of preparedness?
1: Well, it's interesting because I never even really thought about it. And then, you know, I've always I've started getting into getting into the stock market and being interested in money and how it works and started realizing, you know, that maybe things aren't what you think they are. Well, uh, so that was always kind of playing in the back of my mind. And then, you know, I'm channel surfing one day and I wind up on your all time favorite show, Doomsday Preppers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm watching it and I was like, okay, some of these people are coming off bad and realizing, you know, boring people don't make for good television. You know, otherwise they'd be you know, following the neighborhood around of, you know, some place that nothing ever happens and no one would watch it. You know, they want to see drama and explosions and fights and whatnot. So, so I was like, man, this, you know, the economic collapse thing, I could kind of, you know, definitely see something like that happening. So then I was like, okay, this makes sense, but I don't necessarily dig this approach. So it's like, so how could I learn more about this and not have to pay any money for it? And I was like, you know what? Go on Apple, see if there's a podcast. There's a podcast for everything. (laughs) If there's fantasy football podcasts, and I love fantasy football, I was like, there's got to be a prepping podcast. So I just typed in, I can't remember if it was prepping or survival, and some logo pops up with a silhouette guy with a set of earphones on and downloaded that. And I think the first or second episode I listened to was Darby Simpson. And I was just like, what are raising chickens have to do with prepping? Because all I need is guns and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And like some kind of assault tank and upgrade, you know, up armor, a truck. And so I listened to it because I live in Indiana Darby's from Indiana. So, and then I was like, you know, maybe food's a lot more important because I don't want to die of, you know, lead poisoning by ingesting it because I'm starving. And that's basically, honestly, this, your podcast got me started on all this. You know, really more of a holistic view rather than the very myopic view that they show of preppers on Doomsday Preppers.
0: Uh, you know, I, I, I hate that show. I really do. I hate it with a passion. But on the other side of it, you know, you have actually a good story as to some some value that it offers because I do think it makes people at least consider things. And I think exactly what you described is the way that the average person actually ends up watching Doomsday Preppers. They watch it because they're like – they watch it the way they're going to watch hoarders, right? So you're not going to get into hoarding from watching hoarders, and you're not watching it to learn how to hoard. You're watching it because here's a freak to watch and, and be entertained by, and you know it's really – it's like abuse of this person. Like they're capitalizing on this person's mental problem and abusing And you abusing feel
1: good them. about yourself by you – know, just by watching it. You're like, well, thank God I'm not like that.
0: Correct. Well, then when you watch like Doomsday Preppers, you, you, you'll you watch it, and they show the most extreme things these people do. But like the producers actually screw up once in a while and actually let the person really talk a little bit about what they're really thinking. And most, not all, there are some complete, total nut jobs on that show. But some of those people on that show, if you met them in real life, they would appear nothing like they do on that show. Like the lady that said she would eat her cat, they basically badgered her for 40 minutes to finally say, if there was no other choice, that's what I would do. Then they cut that out and stick it in there. So you're watching, you're seeing this extremely erratic behavior, but yet you're hearing some words of wisdom at the same time, even from this total nut, and you start saying to yourself, well, what if the economy did collapse? What would I do? And you realize, well, I'd be screwed. And then you say, well, what if it doesn't collapse? What if it's a half collapse? What if the market just goes down to like, 4,000 instead of, you know, 15,000 and they hold it together and everything's okay, but it's like the Great Depression and I lose my entire retirement. What would I do then? You start asking these questions. You don't have an answer. And then you say to yourself, okay, this is clearly not what to do to, you know, to, to, to to put a bunker in or whatever. But what should I do? And that sort of leads you forward to other questions, right?
1: Exactly. It's, it's kind of like a, A gateway drug is such a bad term, but it's kind of like a gateway, at least for me, to open it up and then kind of like, you know, maybe being prepared. And, you know, my mom grew up on a farm and I I've been, you know, kind of dabbling in garden for a long time. And every time I ask her a question, she was like, well, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've been on a farm. So, you know, I've kind of had to learn a lot of this myself. And, you know, back to your point about the show. I think the world of Marjorie Wildcraft, I, I love what she does and everything, but when they had her on that episode and she slaughtered a chicken in front of the kids, I was just like, I got on the Facebook site for Doomsday Preppers and it's like, what are you guys thinking? You're, yeah. you're going to wreck these children. who are going to have nightmares of a chicken getting slaughtered when you could just basically show them the before and after. Yeah, you know, yeah. Chicken looks like when it's you know taken fresh and just so you know, something had to die so you can live. And I think that's good enough for young kids.
0: I think it is too. Now I never saw I never watched it. I haven't I honestly haven't watched the show since a couple episodes I watched in the first season. And I just got the last one I saw was where the guy fired a shot in a deer blind and it blew the other guy's ears out. And you're like people hunt like that all the time. I don't know what the hell's wrong with you people. Uh, you know what that's right.
1: so interesting? I thought the exact same thing. I go, You've got ear protection in and you know, you're firing in a confined space. I get it, but yeah. That happens inside of a shooting range all the time.
0: Well, and every other um, uh, guy that's out hunting today has a guy with a video camera sitting next to him, video him I'm shooting a deer. So it was just – it was preposterous. But my, 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 I guess my point that I was going toward, though, was with, with killing animals around children, my view is it's something that needs to be done in phases and, like, based on when they're ready for it, not like, here's the harsh reality of your meal. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I can't – I, I don't see Marjorie quite doing it that way. I don't know what really happened, I guess is what I'm saying. Those kids might have been totally cool with that, and that might have all been theatrics. Who knows? I'll ask her next time I talk to her.
1: Yeah, it's just, it, like you said, it's just, uh, and that's why I said it's your all-time favorite show, because I know how much yeah. you despise it, at least until Doomsday Dating gets on the air.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, they keep they keep trying to make runs at that, believe it or not. I get casting calls all the time for shows. And I'm like, why are you people contacting me? I've told you all to F off. Uh, with the full word, multiple times, and you keep coming back to me. And there's been several different, you know, people shopping around a show based on Doomsday couples. Uh, and and one is even shopping around an idea that's going to be kind of like The Bachelor for Doomsday, right? So, like, there's going to be this Doomsday guy that has this, like, beautiful setup for Doomsday. Like, he's like one of the Doomsday prepper guys with the bunker and all that crap. And there's going to be these women that are looking for a guy like that to spend the apocalypse with, and they're going to compete for him, right? This is this is the idiocy that these people are actually. And what it shows is no original thought. But I guess I guess
1: we're getting off track. Well, I was say, Jack, why don't you beat them at their own game? Come up with the with the prepper dating game. You know, yeah. prepper number one. You know, look at prepper yeah. number two, and see. <laughs> then you put it on like public access YouTube. TV or your own channel and yeah. and then say hey sorry i already stole your idea. That <laughs> would shut them down.
0: No, they'll just steal my idea.
1: <laughs> That's all they'll do. Well, yeah.
0: Anyway, when you started prepping kind of what was when you when you finally decided to do it, you know, what did you decide to do first?
1: Well, it's it's interesting because i grew up in very much a liberal democrat household, you know, my my dad did own guns and was in the NRA, and every time you know the magazine would come, I'd say, "Hey, Dad, here's your magazine about killing people." You know, just totally, you know, <laughs> head up my what do you call it, the fifth point of contact?
0: Yeah, fourth point of contact.
1: Fourth point of contact. So when uh, I had it surgically removed, uh, basically when I started following the market, and then I became a Republican, and just like they they could do no wrong, and then you're and then I figured it out that, you know, what it's the two sides of the same coin. Uh, but anyway, the first thing I did is. Um, Got myself, uh, got myself a, a handgun, a Glock 9mm, uh, you know, started buying some ammo. And then the more I listen to your show, it's just like, you know, bought some prepared foods and, you know, just slowly start building from that. And I think the main thing I learned from you is just like, get out of debt. That's, that's the best prep you could possibly have is just be debt free because if you ever have to tap a line of credit, it's there. But, uh, you know, for the most part, tap your own line of credit and have credit rather and have a savings account.
0: Absolutely. So you, you kind of move toward debt freedom as well, then, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It just, uh, and especially when you think the powers that be, you know, want, I think, a debt society in indentured servitudes either to a credit card, bank via credit card or on welfare because money. You know, money, sex, and power has always been the great triumvirate of uh, evil. And if you can control the money and can control people's food supply, and that'll keep them indebted to you more than anything you could possibly do because they know you can shut off the spigot at any time. And, you know, bread and circuses, just like back in the uh, Empire.
0: Yeah, and soup lines, right? If you want people to be obedient, make them hungry and then offer to feed them.
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. You create the demand and then... and then supply it, <laughs> and it's it feeds upon itself. It's you know being a marketing guy, you got to admit it's it's kind of brilliant in a very devious and evil way.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really is. It's it's almost a uh, an old school sales uh Tactic, which I used to actually teach people, because as long as it's not abused, it's effective and it, and it and it's it's okay. But it can this can definitely be abused, and it's called the cash formula. We're, we're way off topic, but you brought it up, so let's let's ramble a little bit. Sure. So it's cash, right? So if I want to teach a new person like the most basic sales formula, I teach them the cash formula: like create, agitate, solve, help. So first thing I do is create a problem. Now this might not actually mean creating the problem; that's what government does. But it might be like observing the problem, like your car's a piece of crap, right? And then agitate the problem. Like, no girls are going to want you with that jalopy. It gets bad gas mileage. Uh, it's costing you so much in maintenance you could afford a car payment. Right? Solve the problem. Here's a new car that is much better than your old car and the price is affordable. Help. I know you don't think you can afford it, but let me show you our financing options. Right? So that's, that's a very simple but very often used sales formula. And it's, it's kind of what government does with the shortcut. Because instead of just observing the problem and pointing it out and agitating it, they actually manufacture the problem many times.
1: And then become the hero when they solve it. In your example, and I I, I sold cars for a very short period of time when I learned as devious and underhanded as it was. Uh, But then all of a sudden I'm telling my friends, this guy Jack hooked me up with a car I didn't think I could afford. You know, Girls are throwing themselves in the street just to stop me.
0: Yeah, 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 because it's
1: shiny and red. (laughs) Exactly, and I don't have to pay any, you know, maintenance on it for three years because it's under warranty. You should go see my friend Jack. He'll hook you up, and the next thing you know, you know, word of mouth referrals, the best referrals you can get. Yep. I got my
0: food stamp card. You can too. It's not just for poor people anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly,
0: exactly. So you have a unique problem, right, in that you are often away from home, and you are not like – you know, at work 40 miles from the house. You're, like, across the country or what have you. So, and I know in your line of work, it's not like you get, you know, so some people, I guess, are lucky. They get ships like this where they, they fly in the morning and they fly back in the evening and they're home every night. But I, I don't think that's typical. You know, when I travel a lot, I see flight attendants in hotels and staying over. So there's times where you're staying overnight. You, maybe you're doing multiple legs or something. So you're away from home a lot. And if something goes wrong when you're away from home, you're kind of stuck there. So how do you prepare with that in mind?
1: Well, you know, I've thought about it, and I bring, like especially now since it's winter, I have a smaller bag where I pack, you know, some long underwear, extra socks, you know, some of the basics I can take because I can't walk on, you know, with like five gallons of water in one hand and a bucket of, you know, dehydrated food in the other. So it's kind of a catch-22. In spite of what you read in a lot of the fiction literature, if I end up in L.A. and, you know, the poop hits the propeller and I'm stuck there, I'm not walking back. I'm not going to make it all the way back from where I am, if I'm in, in L.A., all the way out to Chicago where I'm based. You know, <laughs> it'd be a miracle. I know a couple people, other flight attendants who I've talked to who actually prep. There's some people who are plugged in. Yeah. But – I mean, just to get out, LAX isn't in the uh, brightest and shiniest areas of uh, Los Angeles that'd be on the Star Tour maps. So just getting out of there and then walking the highway, you know, it's... And especially, I, uh, Jack, I was out in L.A. during that uh, shooting uh, recently where, you know, the TSA agent got killed. I was out yeah. there and I stuck there for another night. I mean, mm-hmm. thankfully, I bring my own food with me. Number one, I don't like sending my whole per diem check to Visa. But number two is I've had food poisoning four different occasions since in the 20 years I've been flying and I've been hospitalized with it twice. And holy crap. Yeah, I would really have to, pun intended, I would really have to hate you to want to wish food poisoning upon you. I mean, it's just it's 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 terrible. So if I bring my own food and I get sick because something happens, it's my own fault. Mm. You know, so uh, but back to your point. There's only so much I can do, and I've kind of, you know, not given up because that's not the way I roll, but just kind of be more realistic. It's like, you know, hey, you're in L.A.? I got a buddy who lives up in Big Bear. My first thing was like, well, let's start walking towards uh, Big Bear and see what happens. Have you you ever
0: thought of anything completely crazy, like finding the cheapest uh, option you could for a store? Since you have a pretty defined place that you would end up stuck, like, it seems like that's your leg, like Chicago, L.A. and back, like having a storage facility out there with some gear in it and maybe something like a cheap motorcycle.
1: You know, I've, I've thought about stuff like that. Uh, basically, with my job, you don't have a defined route. The company I uh, or for, you can trade into anything, and honestly, I go for the trips that pay the most and you have to work the least, and there's ways if you know the contract to manipulate things, so... I usually there's not one defined place. I may end up in, you know, Nashville, you know, two times a week for a month, but then the very next month I'm out in Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay, for the next okay. month. So
0: that makes sense, and that's what I thought. It was just the way you were talking about LA, it almost sounded like you were always there and I'm always thinking of solutions for people. So that's not valid for you, but I think some people you that, that are in situations where their travel is always to one place Staging year in that place is a great idea. In your case, what you have to do is, like you said, okay, so you got Big Bear for, for LAX. So then the next question is if I'm going to be in New Hampshire, where am I going from there? Because, like you
1: said, you're not going to Chicago.
0: Because you're usually trying to walk from freaking New Hampshire to Chicago right now. Oh,
1: yeah, just like my parents uphill both ways through the snow. It wouldn't yeah. You, yeah. You know, and and how many, you know, even if it was, you know, Middle of summer, how many pairs of shoes would you wear out, you know? The wheels on my roller bag would probably break.
0: Come you know. on, the book says the guy got his AR, disassembled one, he could hide in his bag, and he walked, and he saw zombies, he killed them, and then he was attacked by rogue preppers and fought them off, and it works, it's in a book, it has to be
1: true. Right, ex- exactly, if it's on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... I don't want to seem fatalistic, but uh, I know in cases like that, my odds are l tad on the slim side.
0: You know, and you, but what you're talking about there is the big, like, total end-of-the-world disaster, which is the least likely thing you're going to deal with anyway. And my belief is, unless it's some sort of cataclysmic environmental event, like Yellowstone erupts, you know, or there's some kind of uh, neutron star it hits us with something that we, we don't have the ability to detect or something like that. The most logical things are a pandemic-style t- thing or uh, economic collapse. And I believe it's, if it's that severe, it's not going to be Thursday everything's hunky-dory and Friday you know, the zombies are eating kittens or something. Exactly. So another thing that people that travel have to do that are worried about that big disaster is pay attention to like the tension level and if you ever think we're really on the precipice you might start thinking about maybe I need a vacation for a week to see what's going on here.
1: Exactly and that thought has crossed my mind as well the at least thank god the company I work for still made profits during the you know the dark days of 2007 8 and 9 so my job was never in jeopardy you know thank god for that and I'm very grateful for the profession I'm in and the company I'm with but you know, it's like you said, it's not going to be an end of the world thing unless there's some kind of pandemic. And trust me, all the times that I've been coughed on and seen people changing babies on tray tables and, you know, people going into the lavatory barefoot or with just their socks on, you know, and then they come out as like, hey, the floor's wet. I was like, well, thanks for mopping the floor for us. Yeah, with your feet. Right. <laughs> when it gets a little bumpy and guys are using the head, the aim tends to go a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, but uh, yeah, there's. You know, I, I try to kind of be aware, and that's why I, my favorite shows you do are the are the call-in shows, the Monday and the Friday shows. You know, where people can call up and say, you know, hey Jack, what do you think about you know X? You know, what do you think about Planet X hitting? You know, or you know something like that, or it <laughs> was something on National Geographic, I think it was, about what it would happen if dark matter came and hit the Earth and pushed it out of its orbit, and you know then they talked about people living underground and stuff oh. like that I was just like, you know you you've got more to worry about if there's a pandemic. I think there's better chance of zombies rising from the yeah. depth than dark matter pushing us out of orbit or something like that.
0: I'll tell you what's a blast to do right now, especially if you have Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, is to go through the old t v series and find the documentaries and things like that. They were put out in like 2010 and 2011 that were leading up to the 2012 apocalypse. To watch those now is absolutely hysterical. Not that they weren't kind of funny then, but to see the emphatic belief and panic in people. And I, I, I don't know why, like Nat Geo and Discovery, they did all of these things on it, why none of them have done the where are they now version, right? To go back and get these people and say, what happened? I think that would be awesome, actually. And I think it could be done without, you know, like totally, you know, making them out to be nuts, which they've already kind of done with some of them.
1: Exactly. Well, there was that one guy who was going to do the leap through the vortex that was opening in Sedona on. Well, yeah, okay, there's a. <laughs> I, had, I, I had. I didn't want him to actually jump off it, but I was really like, okay, how is he going to figure out a way not to have to jump because. Unless You're he's an idiot, yeah, it, it's, there's going to be no vortex,
0: you know. I had a guy that emailed me like crazy amount of times in like August, September of 2012. It's coming. There's a brown dwarf star. The whole thing's going to whatever, you know. And his proof of his credentials was he was published on websites. He had these links to articles, and you could tell I'm legitimate because I'm published on these websites. It's <laughs> still. So, it was like kind of like saying I have a PhD from Harvard and I've been endorsed by the President's Council or something, Did did somebody actually publish his articles. That made him... And he had all these things that were going to happen, and things were going to burn up, and people were going to barely be alive, and people needed to know about this, and he wanted to get on the show and tell everybody. And this was the deal I made with him. I will absolutely let you on the show. I will not mock you. I will let you say your piece. But on December 22nd, when we're not all gone, you have to come back on the air... And tell everybody you were wrong. And funny enough, that guy was never on the show.
1: Hmm. Even <laughs> though he's been, you know, I could I can say, Jack, here's my credentials. I've 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 been published on Blogspot. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what it was. It was no, there was like these, you know, ET blogs or whatever that had pu- published him. Uh, he had been published by somebody that actually was running a ongoing site, but it wasn't like he was published on you know, even my site. It was like you know com had published him, and that was his credential. But it was amazing to me that, like, he wouldn't make that deal. Like, the, well, you have to come on on December 22nd and and tell everybody why you were wrong. And, you know, he had excuses at that point. And I think that's important. And the reason I even bring that up what I was talking about it is, what am I being a new prepper today? There's so much crap out there angled to try to take dollars out of the pocket of a person like yourself, I'm sh- I'm sure as you've done your research, you've seen that type of thing.
1: Oh yeah, I, I signed up for the uh, Solutions from Science uh, email mm. for, for a while when I was brand new, you know. And you're just like, well, they seem to be legitimate and they're pretty big. And then you do a little research and find out that the uh, the guy who is the owner, you know, is, I think he's done some time in federal prison for deceptive marketing, or at least he's been fined by the f. You know, for the consumer trade council or whoever the fed, you know, alphabet agency that came <laughs> after them. So yeah, it gets, it gets overwhelming. And I mean, that's why I appreciate, you know, the, uh, you know, Jack's not paying me to say this, but the MSB has just been a godsend because I, I know these are some people I can trust. I mean, I've done business with, uh, quite a few, uh, companies on there and I, I've done some training with Frank Sharp. I think the world of him, I can't say enough good stuff about him. Uh, you know, Berkey guy's fantastic. Vic's been fantastic. So, you know, that's helped cut down the learning curve quite a bit, you know, rather than try to reinvent the wheel and start from scratch. When I found, you know, your podcast and figured out, Hey, this, and I'm very particular about who I let into my head. I wasn't done. The, I stayed on the solutions for science, email this for a while, just for entertainment purposes, sure, else. Sure. you know, for, for the latest, uh, you know, scratch and ding solar panels that they're selling, you know, or something like that. If I want scratch and ding, I'll buy a refrigerator, not a solar panel.
0: <laughs> well yeah, there's some there's a new one out now. Um it's the number one item FEMA hates you hoarding or something like that. And this guy, uh it's like food for patriots or something like that. It's just Well, it's just a bunch of food is all it is, packeted food. And FEMA tried to buy my whole stockpile, and they they didn't try to buy it. But we don't want nobody to know about this. And he actually says in this thing, he says, we've recorded your address on your computer right now. And uh, I need to make a video of this thing just because it's hysterical. And we do not want this shared on Facebook or Twitter. And if we find out you blabbed, we will not sell to you. And uh, then it says only two out of a 100 – uh, people that eat, that see this will will be allowed to buy our food. So you get to the end, and the guy goes, "You made it!" Right? <laughs> like you made it. So I'm sitting there. I hit F five. You made it. Hit F five. You made it. Hit F five. You made it. I'm like, "Where's you didn't make it?" You know. And it's that kind of crap that's going on out there. It, it really bugs me for new people because my concern is that a guy like yourself that's maybe a little less in tune that you are. Um, gets sucked into a few of those things and then decides prepping's not worth it. It's all just a scam.
1: Right, right, exactly. Exactly. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I was gonna say when that, when you made it through to be one of the two of the 100 and you're creating false demand that way, did you email Porter Stansberry and tell them you made it?
0: No, no, that wasn't Porter, but that's, that's very much along the lines of Porter. Porter is, is a con artist too, a con artist extraordinaire. Um, he's actually a very good con artist. Uh, this guy's terrible, you know, and th- th- this is the guy saying you know, if we, we don't want you telling anybody. And I found his ad on the Weather Channel. So apparently he didn't want anybody to know. So he put it on like one of the top 50 websites in the world. Um, but but Stansberry Ford. is much better of a con artist because he blends so much truth in with his bullshit. His sales pitch is 80 percent true. And that makes it far more deceptive and far more believable.
1: Right. Exactly. Um But anyways, to your point, because this is we, we've kind of we've gone off a little track quite a bit, it seems like. uh, But it's been fun. It, it you know, I bought you know, I think the first stage is when you're like, OK, I'm behind. I need knowledge. And yep. then you like overwhelm and sign up for everyone's email list, food for patriots, you know, survival planet and, you know, everything like that. You know, going to Doomsday Preppers website and figuring out what I need to get, you know, uh, it, it, it's a little bit of a learning curve. I mean, certainly being, uh, you know, MSB member or just, you know, from some of the people you've talked to on, on your show has really helped to cut through a lot of the, the BS. Cause like I said, I'm very particular about who I let in my head. Once I learn pretty quickly that what you're basically marketing is more marketing further down the road and just to, you know, generate an email list. It, you know, I usually separate pretty quick, but uh I went overboard with the knowledge. I'm I've got like a pile of books sitting here. You know, everything from gray water recycling. I need to learn about gray water recycling. To, you know, oh, I need to learn about you know guns. I need to learn about how to grow you know twenty pounds of vegetables per square inch. You know, whatever. You know, after a while, it's, it's you're like, okay, now I need to put some like feet to my knowledge and actually learn how to do this. You know, it'd be nice to learn how to clear a jam on a weapon if, God forbid, you're ever involved in a firefight, then try to do it, you know, right in the heat of the action. You know, learn some of this ahead of time before the, you know, the end of the world as we know it comes or whatnot. And that's, I think that's kind of like maybe step two, you know, is just try learning. And then once you try learning, you're going to screw up and just see other people have screwed up and. Try to save yourself a step by doing some role modeling from people and, you know, you know, Hey, I did this with my, you know, rabbits and it didn't work, you know, or, you know, my tomatoes got eaten, which all my tomatoes did get ruined last year by some kind of little slug or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's when you learn and then you can, you know, kind of figure out, okay, what did I do wrong and kind of trace your steps and, you know, learn from some people who've made those same mistakes or save yourselves. Like, oh, this is what I should have done instead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember one of my old mentors, uh, he said, you know, do you think it's better to learn by experience or to learn through education? And, and of course that led everybody in the group to, to think by education he meant college. And we were a group of kind of street smart, uh, folks that had almost none of us had actually been to college and we had done very well for ourselves. So of course everybody said experience. And he said, great. Now I want you to think about it this way. Uh, what if you were about to go under? Uh, and, uh, for surgery, and I was your doctor, and the guy's about to put the mask over your face and put you under, and right before you went under, I said, I don't want you to worry about anything. I've learned 100% from experience. Nobody ever taught me anything. You'll be just fine. <laughs> and, you know, of course, then you're thinking you'd be screaming at the mask away from me. Right. And his point was, it's it, it, education is not necessarily school, It's it's that you're learning from someone who's already been there and done that. Uh, and, and you don't have to spend so much time learning not what, you know, what not to do. Uh, it was much easier to learn how to make a light bulb after Edison figured out how to do it wrong you know, a few thousand times.
1: Yeah, exactly. Once Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, he spent the, most of the rest of his life filing lawsuits against, against everyone who lifted his idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once yeah. you pick the four-minute mile and someone proves they can do it, you know, then suddenly everyone's got a belief system that like, well, if he can do it, I can do it too.
0: That actually is one of the greatest stories of a mental block in in the history of the world
1: oh absolutely the The
0: number of people who attempted that feat and failed versus the number of people who accomplished it you know within within days after it happened the first time was uh, something almost almost akin to something mystical like it was it was so blatant like, and and no, the guy that could you know run a seven minute mile wasn't all of a sudden able to run one in three fifty nine, but all these guys that were coming in at four oh five, four oh six, four oh seven, four ten, um, all of a sudden were able to 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 take ten seconds off, just because somebody else did it, and, and that tells us an awful lot about you know the the power of the human mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely, now you got kids in high school who are do, who are breaking four minute miles. Yeah. Know? Not everyone you know, maybe someone breaking a four minute mile getting chased by a cop at a party, you know not but, me, I'll
0: tell you that I,
1: <laughs> no, just like me, you're as pure as the driven snow, I realize that
0: yeah, no, no, I mean it was the four minute mile right um I, I was about a six minute miler uh when I was in my best shape, I mean I could do two of them in a row, so i was I was pretty happy with that, but I'd, I would have never gotten close to that, but you know i I'll bet you there's a lot of people that <laughs> as crazy as this sounds that we're like. Six minute or five minute milers that were able to take another 10 or 15 seconds off because somebody else took even, you know, some, a bigger step. It's, it's amazing what happens when you open your mind to what's possible. And that's a big part of what I try to do with preparedness is like it seems insurmountable, but when you can look around this community and see all the things that people have done. You're either going to have two reactions. Oh, my God, everybody's doing better than me, and that's not the one to have. Or, oh, my God, it is possible. I just need to pick and choose what I'm going to do for myself and the time frame in which I'm going to do it. Because I think one of the other things that happens to to, to new people is I get, like, five different people on the show over two weeks. And one's done this with livestock, and one's done this with homesteading, and one's done this with you know food storage, and one's done this with money. And in your head, like, everybody did all those things where really what happened is people have driv- drilled down into the area of their greatest strength and their greatest needs. And I think it's another thing new people need to do is kind of understand that. that Just because you hear me even talk about all these things doesn't mean I've done them all. I uh, try else. not to talk about things I haven't done at all, but trust me, I could do a little better everywhere just like we all could.
1: Right. And, you know, like, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but like you were saying, you know, then you start thinking, oh, my gosh, they've all done this and they did it all at once. You know, you woke up one day, moved from Pennsylvania to Arkansas. The very next week, you sold your place in Arkansas, moved to Texas. And the very next week, you've got, you know, chickens and, you know, vegetables and you've got, you know, hoogle beds put in. It all happened overnight. And I think that's kind of where the overload gets because you it's great to role model in this community. But you can really just throw yourself for a mental tizzy just looking at some of the things that people have.
0: Yeah, definitely, and like to to try to that's a great subject because I just did this big uh, show about all of the stuff we're doing with these hoogles along the fences in the coming year. So that's I'm like oh well, that's done. Well, it's not done. We started yesterday. We dug twenty five feet uh, of length. We put wood in half of the trench, and then Joe and I looked at each other and said, "It's awful cold outside." <laughs> and, and we went inside and made bratwurst. Right? <laughs> so we got we got one half of the of the trench, which isn't that deep because I can only go down about a foot full of wood. All the dirt sitting there. We're gonna have to haul dirt over to it. Then we're gonna have to do all this stuff to plant, and that's only twenty five feet. We've got about oh a good three hundred fifty feet of run to make. So it's like that. That's just one project taken into bites. But I absolutely know that next year, when we've got all kinds of stuff coming out of that 300 foot long uh, series of, of berms, people are going to look at that and go, "Wow, that's that's like he just did that." And, and we will. And that's I think you have to understand like what knife means when they say "just do it." They don't mean just become Michael Jordan tomorrow morning. They mean just get on the path.
1: If you're going to start running, get out of bed and put your feet on the ground.
0: That would be a good first step.
1: Exactly. You know,
0: that would really would. That would be a great step. And put some shoes on. It's cold out there. Because, by the way, right now I'm looking at about four inches of fluffy global warming uh, laying all over my backyard. Um, and there's there's birds flying around in it. So uh, it is kind of cold out right now. And, like, here's your comment about walking home from L.A. Uh, I guess it's not cold in L.A., but it would be awful cold along the way. So what I like about your comment about that is it brings a certain realism to it. And a lot of new people really need to grab the realism button. You know, they really do because they read these fan fiction novels. And I, I guess you must have read some of that stuff or you wouldn't kind of be a little snarky about it. But does it for you, since you're closer to being brand new to this than, than me, is there a part of you that wants to buy into it?
1: Oh, the, the, I guess if you can call romanticism about a collapse and the world going to hell and millions of people dying, you know, in these fictions, there's a certain sense of like, you know, Oh, that's that's pretty cool. I wish I could do that. Or, you know, these people who think everything is fine. I can't wait to the collapse. So I can say I told you so. Why? So they can punch you in the face and steal your food. <laughs> you know? I'm, it, it's just it's just ridiculous when you see some of the you know, I think there's people who in this community who actually want the collapse to happen. And as a Christian and someone who works around people all the time and I've dealt with sick people. I've had paramedics meet planes, you know, before with people in a full heart attack. I don't want to see anyone suffer, you know, and it's just, but when you get to that, you know, point, it's like everything is going to go to heck and, you know, it's going to be, you know, just me, one man and my gun and, you know, my dog versus the world. It's, it just, it gets a little ridiculous. There is a certain, you know, aspect of, you know, my namesake, George Rogers Clark, who is one of my, you know, absolute best heroes. What he did marching through, you know, flooded fields during the revolution, you know, waist deep in freezing water. And we think about, you know, World War II when the Soviets were, you know, didn't have guns and they were sending guys to the front lines just telling them someone gets shot, pick up their guns.
0: Yeah, there'll be plenty there when you get there.
1: Right. And they had guys behind them who orders were shoot to kill. If they turn around and run, you're like, oh, that's barbaric. George Rogers Clark did the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you're like, you know, these guys marched all the way, you know, from, you know, Cahokia out to Vincennes, you know, in in just awful, wretched conditions. So I could certainly do it. But uh you don't realize the rest of his life when, you know, he died penniless and, you know, failing health and, you know, basically bankrupt because Virginia was going to pay back all of his debts. And they never did. And then because they couldn't find the receipts. And <laughs> then they found the state of Virginia's true story found the receipts that he wrote people because he didn't just commandeer cows from farms to feed his men. He wrote him a receipt and then kept a receipt for himself so he could pay back these people because he paid them out of his own pocket. They were paying his heirs, I think, until like 1927 with the receipts that they found stashed in the storehouse because, you know, there was no federal government that paid for everything back then. The states undertook it. Virginia is the one who sponsored his mission because, you know, southern Indiana, Illinois, and Kentucky were all part of Virginia's territory. Yeah, because those imaginary lines of states ran all the way along the parallels all the way out to the to the coast. But to your point, yeah, there's you know, you've you got to be realistic about it. I mean, sure, there's going to be the one in a million person who, you know, makes it back from Honolulu, walked all the way back to San Francisco. So you, you know, <laughs> there's going to be that one
0: person bottom of the ocean like Jack Sparrow with a boat over his head. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but
1: that doesn't mean you want to give up. You know, wow. if, you're, if you're gonna just say, "Oh, screw it, I'm dead," yeah, you're gonna you're gonna just cuddle up in a little ball and just wait for someone to steal your stuff while you're sleeping, and then you know, no, I I just don't want to give up that easy. But you got to be realistic. It's like I, you know, unfortunate from from school, my fraternity house, from high school. You know, for all the evils that, that are Facebook, and it's it's got its good and bad points. I'm back in touch with a lot of people that I've known over the years, so at least I know people. It's nice on an overnight when I can, you know, meet up with someone who I know. Like, you know, if I'm out in Ontario, my buddy can drive down from Big Bear.
0: You know? Yeah, and the time to be doing that stuff is now when things are good, so that if you need them when things are bad, it's not like, oh, you called me now because everybody's screwed. Like, you want that relationship in place in advance, and, you know, I'm sure you'd reciprocate as well.
1: Oh yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. I think you gotta if you're willing to uh take a uh an M R. E from someone, you should be willing to pass out an MRE to someone. You know, it's part of community building, which I know you're very big on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the, the the like the draw to it, the like almost a romanticism, like you're saying, is one of my favorite authors is Robert Rourke, uh, who wrote hugely on Africa when Africa was still like a safari to Africa, was an old school safari to Africa right after World War Two. And he said something to the effect of every man wants to know how he will perform in front of the charging lion. But not every man really wants to be in front of the charging lion.
1: It's better to see it at the zoo. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and, and what I would add to that, though, is when the lion's a metaphor, sometimes you face him whether you want to or not. So you have to be prepared, but we don't have to desire, right? So I really have no desire to kill a lion. I really don't. Um, So I'm not going to go to Africa and spend lots of money to kill a lion. Not that I really have a problem with lion hunting. I just personally don't think I need to do that. But... That doesn 't mean that i won 't ever in in some sort of metaphorical sense, actually face that charging lion, whether it 's trying to keep my family alive in the middle of a crisis um, or just being shot at by some crazy deranged you know drug lunatic on the street who freaks out and thinks "I'm the guy that stole this stuff uh, or or you know another million things that could happen so e- even though there 's a romanticism toward that charging lion the the harsh reality is most people know it 's not a good thing. And, but yet we do have to be prepared to deal with it.
1: Uh, you're absolutely right. And you meant, go ahead. No, no. I'm, I was just going to say, you know, what you were saying about the charging lion, it's just like it's going to happen and it may not be in the form of the lion that you're imagining it to be. And yeah. that's usually when, you know, you think, well, I can handle this if it happened. But then I have radiant teeth in my house. And when a valve broke and suddenly I'm absolutely helpless, And the only thing I could do is turn off the water, put on a jacket and wait for a plumber to come out here and put the valve in. You know, that's a different kind of lion when I never anticipated. I didn't even know there were valves in there. I just thought it was a closed system, which it is. Didn't know anything about valves being in there, though. You know, I'm thinking my big thing will come when, you know, the gas gets shut off for everyone. Well, it didn't happen to everyone, but it happened to me when, you know, you have no heat and suddenly you're helpless and you have to rely on someone else to get there and. And that's part of prepping. I learned, I try to learn out of every situation, and I learned, you know what, there's there's some things you don't know about, but it's good to, you know, fortunately, my brother lives with me, and my brother knew the guy who came over, because he's a biker, and the other guy's a biker, so, you know, always helps to have someone who knows someone, but, you know, by the same token, when that emergency comes, it may not be coming clothed in the what you expected it to be wearing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned a couple of times that you have this get-home bag. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you keep with you when, you, when you're when you on the road as far as that bag?
1: Well, I have a couple. I have one in my car because I have to drive from my base in Chicago to where I live. So I have, you know, much more extensive supplies in there. Uh, and I rotate it seasonally. Like right now, I've got all my heavy weather gear in my car. I've got what I can manage in my bag. My work coat is pretty sufficient I have a pair of long underwear and an extra pair of pants in there. You know, I have problems with my toes ever since I'm playing hockey and got them, you know, darn near frostbitten. So anytime they get a little cold, it's, you know, it's a special need that I have to prep for. So everyone's, you know, situation may be different. I always keep an ample supply of the uh, couple meds that I have to take every day with me. Um, I I got a roll of duct tape in there because you can never have enough duct tape if or Holding shoes together, you know, when they fall apart when I'm walking from Phoenix, you know, and fall apart in Nebraska. Uh, you know, some, uh, some, you know, I can't bring certain things through security. Like, you know, I'd love to bring a couple things of those, you know, hand warmers that you just break open, but I'm sure the, the fine, fine folks at TSA would take those away. Um, and that's another limiting factor you're thinking is like, uh, you know, I could walk across country if I got my gun, I could shoot with it. Well, you can't exactly bring any kind of weapon on board a plane. So, um, my smaller, you know, the two bags that I bring that have supplies in it, you know, I bring what I can manage. It's a lot easier in summer because I don't have to worry so much about, you know, big thick sweatshirts and long underwear and extra socks where I could just basically empty that and put some sunscreen in there and stick a couple, you know, freeze dried foods in there. But, you know, you, you learn too when you know, I had a bag of jerky in there, and I opened it up, and the thing had ballooned like, triple in size. I was like, well, that's probably not safe to eat, so you had to throw some stuff away. Um, I've also got some uh, paracord in there. Uh, basically, there's not a whole lot you can do with cutting instruments, so I just have keep my keys sharp, and whenever they start getting a little dull, just get a couple new ones made, because they can't say anything about bringing keys through security. So it, it kind of varies, you know, like you see, seasonality, especially, you know, I'll throw an extra baseball hat and like I said, some extra sunblock in, in, in summer. Uh, and then winter's the hard part because you can never have enough warm clothes with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we have some things that we're, we're, we're working on doing. Uh, a guy's on the show, Michael Jordan, the Bee Whisperer, um, in his prepper group up in Wyoming, they have these hats that they have made by Mennonites and it's just like a baseball cap. And it's like a sap cap, like a you know, like a blackjack cap you can you can use as a weapon, an impact weapon. But it's full of uh the sand that you would use in a sandblaster. It's not metal. Hmm. So he said he's been only asked one time going through security what it's for, and he told them that he rides a motorcycle and it so his hat doesn't fly off his head. And uh they were like, Oh, okay. So that would that would be one and then Frank Sharp recommends that you carry a small chain with a with a padlock. And if they ask you why, you have the small chain with the padlock, you say because I travel all the time. And you guys told me not to leave my bag unsecured, and I end up having to sleep in airports, so I use it to lock my bag to my chair when I sleep. Uh, those are two pretty cool ideas. And then the other thing that Frank says travelers can do, this wouldn't be as relevant for you because you have a job there at all, but for travelers, uh, you know, go over to Cold Steel, buy yourself a really nice, high-impact, uh, walking stick, cane, and when you go through security, if they ask you anything about it, you just simply say, are you discriminating against me? Yeah. Because according to the American Disabilities Act, they cannot in any way do anything other than make sure you don't have like a sword cane or something like that. They, they cannot even question you about your need for the cane. So yeah. those are three little things that I've, I've kind of looked at. I think of all of them, the cane might be the most valuable because it's multifunctional. It's not just a defensive tool.
1: Yeah, Frank did mention that when, uh, I did, I paid some extra to do some private one-on-one training with him, which, which, like I said, it was just fantastic. I, because I'm not, don't know a ton about firearms, but I wanted to, I came at it from the point of I would rather pay the good money to learn good habits than to have to pay money to unlearn bad habits. Uh, he did mention the cane. I was, at security in uh, Midland, Odessa Airport in Texas, where there was a grandma who grabbed a cane of her son's, which did have a sword ins- inside of it. So that caused a interesting tie up at security for a while before they they pulled her aside and ran her through the ringer, you know, just with that. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, when you when you hear things, I, I honestly don't get how people can use a training bag as a travel bag and end up with. A weapon at the airport because then you're in a heap of heap of trouble. Even if you turn yourself in, you- it
0: happens though in ways that I don't think people realize. Like so, um, uh, Barry Switzer, who was a, a football coach for the Dallas Cowboys, was arrested in Austin, Texas, one time with a 38 in his in his bag. They ended up dropping all charges and letting him go. And this was before 9 11, so it didn't cause the complete catastrophe. So we've always mocked Barry Switzer in, in Dallas for this. And then not so long ago, my brother-in-law, who's a police officer, and his wife and kids uh, went on vacation to Florida. And they said, well, you guys, you know, take us to the airport and pick us up so that we don't have to pay, you know, $90 a, a day or whatever, you know, ridiculous. It's like 15 bucks a day, but they were going for like a week and a half, so they would have been like a couple hundred bucks in parking. We're like, fine. So I take them to the airport, and I'm driving back toward our house, and the phone goes off. Uh, can you come back by the terminal? Like, yeah. He goes, I have my backup gun on I me and I forgot about it and I need to dump it before I go for sec- through security. So, in his case, it was just being an off duty police officer. He always carried his backup weapon to the point where it was such a normal thing. It was like you or I caught carrying a wallet. And had he not, like, it's like when he went for his wallet to get his ID out for the ticket counter, you know, he, he hits his, his 380 with his wrist and goes, oh, shit. So it stuff like that can happen as crazy as it seems,
1: well, first off, I know people mocked Barry Switzer for a lot of different things other than just that in Dallas <laughs> during, during his time there he
0: did have a nickname down here, and it sounded kind of like shit, so I mean schitzer, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but that was yeah, he did that he you know and and I don 't think he was he wasn 't training or anything. It was just you know people actually carry guns in Texas,
1: yeah, 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 and I know uh apparently both uh candidates i guess the new candidates for governor is it or whatever both came out for open carry yeah cuz i mean even as a liberal democrat like that one woman is you're not going to gain a lot of uh traction in texas by coming out against you know with gun control measures
0: our problem in texas i guess it's also a good thing in a way though is our our governor has almost no power our our governor has the power to veto bills and that's about it there's actually the lieutenant governor in texas has more power than the governor um, and that was because the, the Texas didn't trust the Union uh, after the Civil War, and the Union kind of installed the first governor into Texas after the Civil War uh, through some creative tactics, let's say. So uh, the, the end around was the the state uh, Senate and uh, legislature basically neutered the the power of the governor in our state and rested greater power with the lieutenant governor, who was actually one of the boys, so to speak, at the time. And we have that legacy for good or ill still to this day. But it'd be great to see. There's a big movement for it here. Um, Most law enforcement officers are opposed to it, even the ones that are totally pro-gun, because they're like, it's going to be such a pain in the ass. Because there's going to be people calling us all the time. And I'm like, well, if you tell them it's legal and you don't do anything, after about two or three weeks of hysteria, everybody will shut up and go back to, to the way things are. They do this in many other states right now, and everybody's okay with it. I remember the first time I went to New Hampshire for Liberty Forum, I'm standing at this beautiful hotel, gorgeous hotel they do this thing in, like really high-end place. There's a guy standing next to me, and he's got his Glock on his hip, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I look over at him, and I say, oh, you're here for Liberty Forum? He goes, what's that? And it was like, so he's just checking into this hotel with his Glock. I figured he must be part of this libertarian thing that's going on. He's like, what's what's liberty for him? So I tell him, he's like, "Oh, that's cool. I have to check it out. I'm in town on business." And, I, and I'm like, "See, this is. I told my wife, this is normal. This is how normal people behave. They carry guns, and nobody
1: freaks out." Is that that was at the Crown Plaza in Man in uh, Nashua? Correct.
0: That's correct.
1: Yeah, that's uh, one of the that's the crew hotel we stay at when we land in uh, Manchester. And I, I do I love that hotel.
0: It's gorgeous. It looks like something that Trump would stay in in uh, in, in New York. And but if you walked into a hotel there, I mean, with a gun, there would be a national news story and SWAT team coming down, you know, the, the from the above with uh, repelling things with their EOTEX on their on their ARs backwards and their magazines inserted in the wrong direction, and they would have to put you down. <laughs>
1: Right, they' throw in and, and and then you'd have every vigilante who wants to be have a micro be in front of a microphone afterwards wanting to tackle you too,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, because he has a gun um, so in your mind, with all of these things we've been talking about today and being gone, what are the things that most concern you as to going wrong when you're when you're away from home
1: well, um outside of uh you know problems with the uh aircraft or whatever, just sometimes it's the uh the position I, f- I enjoy flying on the plane is basically you're by yourself a lot, which is which is fine. Uh, but, you know, you're very a lot of times you're very disconnected from people unless you know the people you're flying with really well. Uh, you know, just a lot of it is just being outside your comfort zone. I mean, I'm it's probably different for someone who maybe just once or twice a year travel someplace. But, you know, you've probably been on planes before and the flight attendant will say, hey, you know, on behalf of our airline, welcome to. And then you can hear him whisper, where are we? Because you're just in so many different places, and every flight attendant has woke up in the middle of the night, startled themselves awake, going, where am I? And then you were like, oh, I'm in a hotel, and then you go back to sleep. But it just, you know, you travel so much, you see so many people, and everyone, you know, thinks it's like, you know, here's me, you know, poolside with, you know, Kate Hudson and, you know, Sophia Vergara and, you know, having drinks in Miami. It's 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 not like that. You know, the coffee tea or me days are well in the rearview mirror. The uh, But, you know, the sense of, uh, you know, especially as someone who, who preps is being away from your prep sometimes can cost a little bit of angst. Like I said, especially when I was in, you know, I was just supposed to fly one leg back from L.A. That morning I'm on the treadmill and I look up the TV screen and they show a SWAT team out of LAX and say there's been a shooting.
0: Yeah, you're not going anywhere that day.
1: Right. And, you know, and then you have the planes that were there that aren't supposed to overnight there. They got the whole airport on lockdown. So, you know, it was a little bit of angst. You know, it's one of those things that's like, yeah, I know it's going to be a short-term thing, most likely, if they take the guy down right away. And there were some fishy goings-ons, and, you know, we can get into that the cold conspiracy aspect if you want, but, you know, you pretty much, okay, it's just going to be a day, so I'm stuck an extra day, you know, that's that's fine, I've got enough food with me, I've got enough, you know, I can turn my underwear inside out, my socks inside out, you know, so I got clean underwear, but, you know, just, you think about, well, right, what if someone, you know, flew in from, I don't know why all these, you know, esoteric viruses seem to come out of rural China, but, you know, we're in such an interconnected world now, what happens if someone, you know, did get off the plane, you know, bleeding out of the mouth and coughing blood and then you know there's procedures in place to quarantine planes and quarantine people you know yeah. and, oh there is yeah. and so and what it's happened. happened i mean 911 you know let's just shelve
0: what happened and just talk about what happened after right. um and what what i remember from 911 was touching down in Pittsburgh International Airport going out and meeting one of my sales reps hearing on the uh the radio that uh, a plane had hit a building in New York we actually made some jokes about it and felt bad later because we figured it was like some drunk in a Cessna. I mean, we just no way. To, and then it said another plan, and then we heard World Trade Center, and then you realize what's going on. And three days later, um, my travel coordinator from my company is finally able to negotiate with Hertz Rental Car to get all of us because every single uh, regional manager was away from home and far enough that you weren't walking like we were talking about earlier right. and uh, able to negotiate getting us all cars for one-way trips. So we were stuck there three days. All of our families, of course, are freaked the hell out. All of us were, you know, in our early 30s at the time, all except one of us had kids. Everybody had at least a wife. And I think that people don't realize it's not just about getting home. It's about what's happening at home while you're not there. That's a a big concern. And and it's very difficult to sit on a phone and listen to someone you love cry and know, like, because they're scared, and like I should be there with them and not be able to be there. And that's a real issue for people to travel.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it, that day, nine eleven, I was at home and, you know, watching ESPN. My mom calls me up and is like, a plane hit the World Trade Center. And I'm thinking, that's impossible because I. Because you never, know better. Right. I, because I was like, you're, I don't even think you're allowed to fly down that. That's not a flight path. So how can someone. And then when the second one hit, I was like, okay, this is nothing you know, this is not normal. And then when they shut everything down, my sister and brother-in-law were trapped in Tampa at my folks' place, and he had to be back uh, on the by the 13th. So he they rented a car and drove all the way from Tampa up to uh, in Southern Ohio where they live because he had to be back at work. And, you know, the, the other thing was when that happened, they said it was American plane. Girl who I was really close to is American flight attendant. I couldn't get through to her because... But like you were saying, calling home, all the circuits were busy. You couldn't get a signal to even get on the cell tower because they were all overloaded. So, you know, that's another thing. I mean, how scary would it be if you couldn't have even called home if all you got was a busy signal? You know, and then you got the people on the other end are working as like, oh, my gosh, was he on the plane? You know, was he OK? Was he by the World Trade Center when that happened? So, you know, the communication aspect, especially when you're in a dark groping you know, and then, you know, how your mind plays trick on you. I hope they're okay. You know, I don't know. I, my mom is like, I call her the prophetess of doom because she always thinks of like the worst things that could happen, you know? And, you know, I heard you got a really bad snow. Yeah. I, I was at home. We were inside. I wasn't camping out in the backyard. Yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah. That's just, uh, that's another thing that could happen. Is just like you said, it took you a few days to get home. Well, you know, What happens if you're like, all right, I'm leaving on, I'm going to be back in one day, It's just one overnight. So I don't. It
0: actually was. It was it was supposed to be an overnight trip. Like I was going to, I was, I left at six thirty in the morning. I was going to be home about uh, eleven in the afternoon the next day, and it just didn't work out that way.
1: Yeah. And so what happens if you're like, you know what, I'm not bringing a suitcase because I hate waiting at baggage claim. I just want to, you know, get out to the airport and be away from planes. So you're like. You know what, I'll just bring a backpack with, you know, my toiletries that I use every day, change of socks, underwear, and, you know, good dress shirt and nice pair of slacks so I look presentable. And then all of a sudden you're stuck there for three days. Yep. You know, same clothes. You're like, well, I didn't bring most of my credit cards with me and I only got 30 bucks. Well, you know, especially if you're in New York or even Pittsburgh downtown you know, try feeding yourself with just 30 bucks for 3 days.
0: You ain't going to do it.
1: No. Exactly.
0: So, now during the blackout in New York City, I was I was there for that and uh I always carry it, like when I would travel at least $800 in cash. Uh just because it, people think it's a large sum of money, it's not. And uh so everybody was walking out of New York and I'm like, I'm not walking out of New York. I've got a hotel here and and they had a backup generator and you could still at least get in your room and sleep there for the night. And so I'm standing out on the street down by the harbor where that big aircraft carrier is in the harbor there. Uh, I can't remember which one that is. It's the Intrepid or whatever. And, uh, there's, you know, just like two streets into the city from there and there's, you know, shops and all. And you walk along and there's a little restaurant and talk to the guy I'm like, are you guys selling? Cause there's people sitting down. He's like, yeah, cash only. Oh, okay. So I was sitting there drinking a beer and eating a sandwich and watching. Literally multi-million number of people walk out of Manhattan. Um, without the cash, it would have been a tough situation to be in, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because, you, number one, ATMs aren't going to get power. They're probably not going to have power to their credit card machines. And even if they have a backup generator, you have to pretty much figure out what you're going to use that power on. Yeah. And, and yeah. I was a restaurant and hotel management major. I'd be telling you, if you were at the front desk, I'd be telling you, better keep the power on to that freezer into yeah. the refrigerator because there's like $5,000 worth of food in there Yeah. that, we, that we're going to end up selling to people who choose to stay at the hotel. And I've been snowed in in uh, Islip, New York, which is on Long Island. I've been snowed in for three days there during a blizzard. And the hotel started running out of food. I started running out of food. <laughs> and, you know, even the vending machine, people were cleaning out the vending machines like it was going to be, you know, like lockdown and the lights were never going to come back on, even though we never lost power. You know, it was just—it was interesting to say the least. And it sounds like you've been in a couple hairy situations, things like that happen. And that's one of the things that I say—I take it as a learning experience. Is like, what could I have done different?
0: Yeah, the travel always will soon. If you travel a lot, you know, for like 10 years, I traveled three, to, three weeks out of the month. will always put you in a few situations to observe things you otherwise would not have. My favorite thing, and you've probably observed this too, nothing to do with what we're really talking about. It's just fun to watch, is when you're at an airport and you know you're not going anywhere. You know the weather's shut down all the flights, and you look up at the big screens, and it says canceled, 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 canceled. And there'll be like one plane that they just haven't updated it, right? It says on time. And then you get a feeling and you look down and there's this person standing there looking at the screen with a huge grin because they think it's real and it happens to be their plane. Um, I know it's wrong, but I find it humorous when I watch that person smile because I think you're not going anywhere either. <laughs> there's absolutely no way that there are 800 flights shut down, completely canceled, and, and your plane's taking off on time.
1: Exactly. We have that happen when if say it's weather and there's a three hour delay, you know, sometimes they will be outbound, uh, shut down, but they're still letting planes in. You can yeah. flying. I've been flying to Seattle before where it was fogged in and we were on a three hour delay. Yeah. And you know, the, I remember the captain got on there and said, it's an ATC hold air traffic control hold. So we're going to be sitting here for, you know, at least an hour. And you know, he makes, and I walk through and this lady's like, excuse me, what's wrong with the aircraft? And I was like, as you just got done hearing the captain say, it was an air traffic control hold and there's nothing wrong with the aircraft. And she was like, are you lying to me? And I looked at her and I was like, oh no, ma'am, I wouldn't lie to you unless we were dating. And (laughs) people around her were laughing. She was making that chewing motion with her mouth because she didn't want to laugh. She wanted to stay mad and wanted to blame somebody. And, you know, it is the uniform. But to your point, you'll get the one person who like oh, you know what? I'm glad you guys were three hours late because I never would have made a flight back to Chicago. So I go, so you're the one happy person on the aircraft that we're three hours delayed. It's like, absolutely. I'm walking out (laughs) with a smile on my face.
0: I've I've been that guy too. when the flight gets delayed (laughs) and you had a meeting run late or what have you. Anyway, we're kind of at the end of the hour here. Um, Could you uh, just maybe give people a little encouragement that are new preppers that feel overwhelmed or looking for a place to start, like just kind of some grounding ideas there?
1: You know what, go with, and you know, it's it's interesting, you'll see people who, it's hard to say what's the most important thing, because you'll get someone who's ex-special forces or whatever, say security is the most important thing. You'll get someone who says, you know, oh, food's your most important thing, you know, who's who's selling stored food. You'll get people who say water's the most important thing, you know. It's like Maslow said, if you're good with a hammer, everything's a nail. You go to a surgeon, they don't give you nutrition advice, they tell you, we need to operate. So... I think you need to make up your own mind what is important to you. And I don't think starting off, it's not so bad to do a shotgun effect, have a little bit, little bit of food, little bit of weapons, little bit of water, little bit of clothing, you know, for, you know, and just to have the bases covered. If, you know, like for you say, if, you know, have enough for like, you know, two weeks of everything to start out. That's kind of where I, you know, when I started new and getting into overload, That's when I started, you know, thinking, okay, let's just back up a little bit, exhale, and just see what's going And I was like, okay, have start off having two weeks of everything, and then you can, you know, dabble in some.
0: You know, the, the beauty of that is that if you have two weeks of everything you're going to need, first of all, it's very doable. It's something that within six months, unless a person is totally living at the edge of their income, you can get there. You might not get there where you're eating caviar for two weeks, but you can get there. So it's doable. Number two, it is going to cover you for 80 to 95% of anything you're ever going to deal with, right? Other than your house is gone, so your stuff's gone. So you've got that working for you. And then the other thing is, okay, then you think, well, I need to get ready to be able to do this for a month. So once you've done it twice, and you, that's, that would be four weeks or 28 days, you're practically at a month. So if it was doable one, it's doable, too. And, right. and then over the next year, if you do it two more times, you're up to about two months or 60 days of sustainability. And if you've got that, now you're up to like a 99% ready quotient. The 1% beyond that need is not worth letting you, 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 yourself be prevented from getting there. Because what happens is like Steve Harris talks about with EMP. You, you start down that path. It's the dark side. It will consume your soul. And, and then you have all these other places where you're, you're just not prepared for the most basic disaster because you're worried that your transistor radio won't work when they nuke you and, by the way, fry your brains at 5,000 degrees Kelvin if you're close enough for the EMP to bother you. Um, so I, I think that's a really
1: good piece of advice to new people. Just get to two weeks. Right, and then you can expand out from there. You know, it's kind of like weightlifting. It seems like people who... Like I lift, my triceps blow up really quick when I lift. However, my shoulders look awful. So you have the propensity to do things you're better at. So I spend a lot of time on my triceps because you notice the results right away versus sometimes wanting to put in the hard work. So if you're really good at, say, gardening, and you may just put a lot of your attention in the seeds and storing food and canning, you know, don't forget if you're going to, you know, dehydrate a lot of food, you're going to need a lot of water to rehydrate it with.
0: Yep. Yep. And
1: that's what I think a lot of people miss if you get, like, you'll see on, you know, Doomsday Preppers where they have, you know, the whole wall covered with that wise way you know, storable food. Well, you better have some pretty good-sized tanks of water to rehydrate all that with because otherwise it's going to make for a very dry mouthful.
0: And if you're going to have that much water, you better have a way to, to filter that water because there. once you go over a certain amount of stored water, there's no way you guarantee the potability of that water. It, it You just can't. Um, it, now, if you're storing gallon jugs of it, don't freak out and dump a gallon of chlorine in a gallon of water. But when it comes to, like, these big storage tanks... I don't care how well that stuff's filtered before it goes in there. There's always the potential for some sort of bacterial infection. So now we've got to add a water purification method. Well, I'm going to boil it. You're not always going to boil your water. You you don't have time to always boil your water. And by the way, if you ever drank a glass of boiling hot water, it sucks. So you got to find that balance like you're saying. But, again, the the two-week start is it's the best. And when I give similar advice, I actually say seven days a week. And, and there's so many people. That's not enough. They're going to die in the apocalypse. Like, they, at least they bought themselves seven days to figure out what to do next. If it's the apocalypse, right. but let's let's start out with being prepared for the lights to go off for a week because of a hurricane or a ice storm, like a few people are experiencing right now. Uh, where I've seen lots of ice storms in my life, lots of snowstorms, lots of tornadoes, lots of hurricanes, lots of earthquakes. I've seen some terrorist attacks. I've seen all these things. I'm still waiting for the apocalypse.
1: You haven't had any zombies break their way out of that uh, seabed floor in your backyard? No, if they're buried in
0: there, they're good. <laughs> the dead will not rise from these
1: graves. But
0: uh, <laughs> all humor aside, man, I appreciate you being with us today and your unique perspective on this, both as a new prepper. And you know, if you talk about something that travels a lot and can be stranded, your your job is the one that's going to do that. So, So, Daniel, I appreciate you being with us today.
1: Hey, it's been a pleasure, Jack. And uh, token of my appreciation, I want to meet you someday and make it down to one of your seminars. I really wanted to make it to the battery one, but I couldn't. uh, I've I've got a Raiders hat in your size for you. It'd be a much better look for you.
0: (laughs) I don't know how many videos I'll be shooting with it, but of all the teams out there... You know that I dislike the Raiders aren't on my dislike team uh, list, they're on my neutral list. So at least it's got that going for it. Again, thanks for being with us today, man.
1: My pleasure, Jack. Anytime.
0: Alright, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Daniel Rogers, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these
1: days, you know it's on our TV. Sometimes we forget we are what we There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess when we